Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Brothers and sisters, if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 146. Let me just remind everyone as well that uh, we do have seating upstairs. That there should be, um, should be able to hear everything up there. So if you need more space, you're free to go up there. We may have some seats in this side room as well. So just uh, keep that in mind. Psalm 146, if you would please rise as we honor the public reading of God's word. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. O Father, how we do plead with you that you would make us wise by your word, that even as we go through difficult times, Lord, difficult times in so many ways, but even particularly as what's on many of our minds is everything going on in our government and vote counting and elections, that sort of thing. Lord, we do pray that you would give us wisdom that in the midst of such a contentious time in in this world that we would yet be able to see clearly, to understand what your word would require of us, and that we would always seek first your kingdom above all else. Help us, O Lord. Open up our eyes. Help us, Lord, not to put any trust in princes, but to put all our trust in you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I thought it would be good to take a quick break from our series in First Peter. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through First Peter, and uh, we had just finished chapter 4 uh, just a couple of weeks ago. But I thought in light of the election and how contentious it's been, it would be uh, good to address some things related to the things that are going on um, in our country. Again, trying to be careful. Uh, This is not a political speech in any way. But there are things that the scriptures speak about with regard to government that we need to be uh, very mindful of and that we can uh, understand and think through the issues uh, as Christians. And so I think that's uh, an important thing, and that's what we will be uh, addressing here this morning. And partially the reason for uh, having this sermon is because there are some ideas, they're not new ideas, but they have found new life, I think, in recent years 
that uh, are things that we need to address as Christians, to understand how are we to think as Christians. And, and the, the main one I want to address this morning is socialism. Um, what does the Bible say with regard to socialism? And then the other thing I want to address is, as we as Christians look on this side of the election, how are we to respond to elections? Both of these things are, are things that affect us as Christians. You, you look back over the, the recent years and you see that many people, especially as the country has become more and more contentious, there's been less and less peace and unity within the country, there have been more and more, we've seen people after an election that does not go the way that they want it to go, people uh, break down and uh, really are unable to cope with the results of the election. And so those are the two things I think that, that we want to address. And particularly, I think, with Psalm 146, both of these things are addressed. And even the problem with the, the way that you respond to an election and the temptation to move towards a government that is socialist, both are rooted in the same fundamental problem with respect to a Christian's relationship to the government, and both of it, that these issues then are addressed, particularly in Psalm 146, and that is, the, the foundational principle is that we are not to trust in princes, we are rather to trust in God. We're not to trust in princes, we're rather to trust in God. In socialism, there's a temptation to put all of our trust in princes. That's, that's really the, the pitch. If you give us all of the power, we will provide for you all your needs. And in elections, the way we respond to them is the, the, the same, uh, the same uh, problem. There's too much hope in the government. We put our, too much trust in princes. And when we do not think because of an election that they will be able to meet our needs, there is a loss of all hope. In both cases, the, the way a Christian can respond in a godly way to the ideas that are in the culture and to elections that do not go our way is to remember that we do not put our trust in princes. Rather, we put our trust in the Lord. And really, in an amazing way, these uh, issues have always been around. Even in uh, the time of the psalmist, we're going to see that they're, in fact, very much parallel to what uh, the ancient world was facing. And uh, these ideas are, in that sense, not new. They go all the way back to ancient times. They have different dress, but yet they are, in fact, fundamentally the same. And so we're going to be looking then, again, at Psalm 146 and particularly applying uh, Psalm 146 to those two issues of uh, how we are to view socialism as Christians and then also how we are to view uh, elections as Christians. So uh, first, we're going to be just looking at this passage very briefly in three, in three under three headings. I'm going to give a brief overview of the passage in terms of its meaning, and then we'll apply it to then to each of those other two issues. So look with me again then as we consider uh, Psalm 146. Notice the point of the psalm is that there, the psalmist is praising God. The first two verses are about praising God. And then there are two options that you have to put all of your hope or trust in. You can either put your hope and trust in the government, in princes, in sons of men, or you can put your hope and your confidence in God. The point of the psalm is to compare what it looks like to put your hope in one versus what it looks like to put your hope in the other. And the psalmist highlights the weaknesses of putting your hope and your confidence in princes and then the strengths, the blessing that comes for the one who puts their hope and their confidence in God. Notice in the text then that you cannot put your hope in both. These two things are pitted against one another. You can either ultimately have your hope in God or you can have your hope in princes. You cannot put your hope in both. 
In this way, what Christ has said applies uh, very well, that you cannot serve both God and money. In this way as well, you cannot, in this sense, serve both God and princes. Now, the government can do a lot of great things, and uh, we need to recognize that there is a positive use for the government. But even recognizing that, we also recognize that we do not put our ultimate hope and confidence in princes or in the sons of men. We put our hope and our confidence in God. And notice here in verses 3 and 4, the reasons why the psalmist says that you are not to put your hope in princes. There are three of them that he gives. First, the second part of verse 3, do not put your hope in a son of man in whom there is no help. There is no help. There is an inability to help. Now, this this word that's translated help, um, it can also be translated as salvation. It's the common word for salvation. There is no salvation in princes. There's no ability for them to save. This is uh, similar to what the psalmist says in Psalm 33. He says, you know, the, the king is not saved by his great army. He may have a great army. It may look quite intimidating on the outside. He's not saved by his army. The war horse itself, it's a false hope of salvation. God is the one who's in control. He is the one who grants salvation. And his eye is on those who fear him. Even though it may look like the princes of this world have all of this power and they promise to use that power for your benefit, we must recognize that as the psalmist says, he actually has no ability to save. He has no ability to save. The only reason why all of those resources can even be uh, in any way effective is because of the grace of God himself. And so we are not to put our hope in princes because he cannot save. That's the first reason. Now notice the second reason in, in the beginning of verse 4. His spirit departs and he returns to the earth. That is to say that every prince of the world is going to die. And because of that, we ought not to put our trust in them at all. If you look at the greatest and the mightiest of all peoples, the greatest of, and mightiest of all people in government, ultimately, all of them will die. Their spirit will return to God. Their bodies will be placed in the ground. And as a result of that, the psalmist says at the end of verse 4, the third reason why we're not to put our trust in princes is because in the day that they die, their plans will perish. Their plans do not go with them beyond the grave. There, there may be a sense in which people can take up the mantle of those who have died, but very often there are changes that are made and people's plans are not carried out after they die. And so, for instance, an example of this, and again, I'm not commenting politically on uh, what you think of, of this person from a political sense, but we had a Supreme Court justice who recently died. Her seat was filled by, um, by the government. She requested that that seat not be filled. And yet, and again, I'm not commenting politically on anything other than just to point out that her plan was unable to be put into place after her death. And this is very common. After people die, no matter how strong they are, no matter what kind of powers they have in the government, their plans die with them. They are all mortal. They're all going to die. And they cannot help you beyond the grave. And so for these reasons, the psalmist says, do not put your hope or your confidence in princes. Now, this view of government, this view of limiting the power and the trust that, a, that you are to place into the hands of the government is actually very different from the ancient world and all those peoples that existed around Israel. Uh, in the, it was very common in the ancient Near East, uh, all of Israel's neighbors, to have a view of government whereby the king ruled absolutely. And he ruled absolutely because 
He was thought to be a son of the gods. He was the incarnation of the gods. And as such, then, he has this ultimate power. Uh, you really were, if you lived in any nation outside of Israel, you were to put your trust and your hope in the princes. They were everything to you. You even very often would worship them. If you had a problem, you would go to them because they were, in fact, the ones uh, who were uh, the gods themselves. And so there's no, there's no recognition in, in any of the cultures around Israel. There's no recognition of a limiting of the power of the government because the government was tied up in the worship of God himself. This is very different from Israel where there is a clear separation between uh, the power of the government and God himself. And we see this even very clearly by comparing what would, uh, what would mean success for a king of the ancient Near East versus a king uh, in Israel. In the ancient Near Eastern world, and even, even down beyond the ancient Near East, a good king was one who was mighty, who won great wars, who built monuments to himself, and who uh, would uh, build things that other people could look at and be amazed at. It was a way to, the buildings were a way to, um, to have your influence transcend your own life. Uh, there are things that, that people have built, uh, particularly from the first century. You think of Herod the Great. You can go to Israel and you can still see the things that he himself has built. This was a way to uh, show the greatness of the king and in some sense to point to his uh, immortality, which he, he thought he had, but he did not. In, in the ancient Near East, that was how you showed that you were a great king. You, you commanded the respect as a great warrior and as a great builder of things. However, in the Old Testament... A king was only good insofar as he obeyed God. He was only good insofar as he ruled justly, recognizing that God has the ultimate power. And his power was limited with, by this understanding of his relationship to God himself. He did not have all authority to do whatever he wanted. He did not have all authority to wage war as he wanted. He had to be subservient to God himself. And in this way, then there was a check on his power. And the reason for this is because he recognized that ultimately God is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Ultimately, God is the only King of the universe. And therefore the King recognizing that had to submit himself to that power. And that's why then in verses five to 10, the psalmist contrasts trusting in princes with trusting in God himself. You are not to put your trust in princes as all the nations around Israel does. You are rather to put all of your trust in God. And if you do, you are blessed. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, the psalmist says. The word can also be translated blessed. Blessed is the man who does these things, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And just like in verse 3, how the psalmist says not to put your trust in princes and then follows it up with reasons not to put your trust in princes. So too then in verses 5 to 10, he says, you are to put your trust in God and you're blessed if you do so. And he follows it up with a number of reasons that really take us to the very end of the psalm. And so he, he gives the reasons, particularly in verses 6 to 10. Notice here in these reasons that are given, none of the weaknesses that are attached to earthly princes apply to God. None of them apply to God. Notice what he says first in verse uh, 10, taking the passage in reverse order here, that even though princes will die and their plans will die with them when they die, God himself, in verse 10, we are told, will in fact reign forever. 
He himself is the fountain of life, and his life comes from himself. It cannot be taken away. He is the one who alone has immortality, and all of his purposes will be uh, will uh, thrive all the way to the end of time. There's not anyone who can thwart any of his purposes, and therefore, he will not be limited by death like all of the other kings of the earth in whom we are tempted to put all of our hope and confidence in. He is the king of kings and will always be so. But not only this, not only this, but God is actually the one who saves. There is no salvation in the princes, in the sons of man, as we're told in verse 3, but God is, in fact, one who regularly saves. Not only is he capable of saving because of his great power, but also in his grace and mercy, he very often does save. We were, we're told over and over again this in, in the psalm. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He gives freedom to the prisoners. He opens the eyes of the blind. He raises up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. He, in his great power, rules over all things, and he often does condescend to care for those who are overlooked in society, no matter what what kind of person that is. God is able to help, and he's willing to help, and he does, in fact, help. And all of this is because we're told in verse 6, he himself is the creator of all things. As such, he must be the only God. And as the creator in God, he is the sustainer of all things. And because of all these reasons, the psalmist says, blessed is the man who puts all of his hope and confidence and trust in God, whose help, whose salvation is found in the God of Jacob, rather than having their hope and their confidence in sons of man and in princes. Now, what does this have to do with socialism? The reason this is important, and here I'm going to pretty much lump socialism, Marxism, and communism all together, uh, there's, because on this point, they're all the same. The reason why this is so important for these is because what all of these views have in common is that the government must be uh, all-powerful, and everything must come from the government itself. The government is the, the highest good uh, that will provide for all of the problems of all of the people. And so, so really, all of these are really based on the ideas that you must put all of your hope and confidence in man. You must trust princes. Now, the reason why the, the problems that the government will often say, at least that they're going to solve, at least today, things like oppression from racial injustice, climate change, coronavirus, there'll be all your health care will be taken care of, your college tuition will be paid for. All of these are the pitches of the government. If, if, if you will give us power... If you will cede over your rights to, to us, then we will use that power for your good. That's the, that's the appeal. That's the temptation. If you will put all of your trust in us, we will provide for you. We will make sure that uh, you're, you're never poor. We'll make sure that all of your health care is good. You'll live a healthy life all the days of your life. Whatever existential threat there is to humanity, it will be fixed by the government. That's, that's, that's the, the, the pitch that socialism and communism um, and Marxism all make to mankind. Give us the power, and we will make sure that you benefit by it. You, you will have everything that you need if you just trust us. However, again, this would be uh, exactly contrary to a Christian view of the world and a Christian view of government. If we are required to say that we must put all of our trust in princes, then we must, in that sense, deny God 
in, in order to, to go after these things. Very often, I think Christians who are tempted by these ideas, it's not always clear, I think, that this is what the government is doing. But this is, in fact, the pattern that's, that's now very well firmly established. This is the reason why in the countries where socialism or communism or Marxism is adopted, why in all of these countries the church is persecuted. The reason the church is persecuted is because the government has to be the highest thing. If we have recourse to things like Psalm 146, where we can say, I'm not going to put all my trust in princes, I'm rather going to put all my trust in God, then the government's power is undermined. Because the government requires, the government requires in this system that they be the ones who meet all the needs. They're, they're the ones that require you to put all of your trust in them. And therefore, having something higher than the government that you can appeal to is antithetical to these forms of government. It is, in, in this way, it is a great return to the, the style of government of the ancient world. Uh, you know, it was common in the ancient world for you to have kings, and in some ways that makes the governments look different. But fundamentally, the difference between an Israelite government and the governments of all the other nations around Israel was, do you put all of your hope and confidence to fix all of your problems in the government, whether it be one person or a group of people? This, this, is, this was really the, the thing that distinguished Israel from everyone else. In Israel, they said, no, we, we put our trust in God, and the king's power is limited. He has no right or authority to, uh, to try to provide all, for all the needs of all the people. God is the one who does that, and his power is limited by a recognition of God being the ultimate king. And here, too, then, in this day, it's, it's uh, very much the same. There are, will always be a temptation to move towards governments where the government has all the power. The reason the temptation is there is because the government offers you many great things. And they just say, if you give us your power, then we will fix all of your problems. And so the things that are, uh, that are offered, as I mentioned, for, you know, free tuition, free health care, um, de- defeating all uh, pandemics or whatever else, if you give us your power, we will make sure that you are taken care of. Now, the problem is with this is that very often governments are unable to deliver on the promises, even as the psalmist says at the end of verse 3. There is no actual help or salvation in man. They die, their plans perish, and so because of that, very often the promises of the government remain unfulfilled. This is how it how it always has worked all throughout history. It is a temptation that we must resist. We do not give all of our power, all the power or um, all of our rights to the government. We recognize that the, the government should be limited because the government is not to provide everything for all people. Now, the question may then come, well, isn't there, aren't there certain things that the government should provide for the, its people? And if so, how does it look, what does it look like for us to trust in God and for God to provide for all of our needs? Uh, if we're not to put all of our trust in princes, surely in some ways we trust princes. We don't put our ultimate hope in princes, but we do trust in them in some, in some way. And we recognize that very often the way that God provides for us is that he doesn't make things just fall out of the sky. He does use means. And so how is a Christian to view um, God's use of means to provide for his people with respect to the government? Now, there are, there are actually many things that the scriptures say on this. First, and most basically, the scriptures do teach that very often God will provide through your own labors. Uh, this is something that Paul says, for instance, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, where he says, if you do not work, you're not to eat. Uh, if you are unwilling to put to actually uh, work and produce things for yourself, 
then you have in some ways foregone the right to eat and, and there's really no obligation at that point for anyone to help you. Now, that doesn't mean um, those who can't work that they uh, that they're, they're, that they're just forgotten, but it is meant to say that, that we're not to be lazy and we are to provide for ourselves. Um, and in so doing, we recognize that God provides for us through our own efforts. Very often, the way that God provides for us is he blesses the work of our hands. We go to work, we pray that God would bless us, he does bless us, we're provided for. Now, if we are in a situation where that's insufficient or for some reason that that doesn't happen, the next way in which God very often provides for people is through family. This is the next place that a Christian should go to for a provision. And when it is when there is a provision through family, we are to recognize that that is God providing for a person through the family. And so, for instance, for instance this is what uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 when he's speaking about uh, widows who are not to be registered with the church for aid because they have family. The, the idea is that um, if there's someone who cannot take care of themselves, the first group of people that are obligated to help, even before the church is supposed to help, is the family. And so then if, if there is no family, then Paul says the next layer in uh, 1 Timothy 5 is the church is to help. The church is to help. Um, if, if um, you know, Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. But if there is someone who actually does not have these kinds of helps, if they are unable to provide for themselves, they have no family to provide for them, then let the church help. Let, let, the church, let them be registered with the church and let the church provide for the needs of those people. We also uh, see uh, just in general, it's very appropriate if there is no church to help that other concerned people are to help others just out of a, a goodwill towards man, recognizing that others are made uh, in the image of God. This very often happens in life. Um, I've heard many stories of people who have had medical bills, for instance, that are way too high and they didn't have health insurance and, you know, neighborhoods get together and they raise money for the person. Uh, this is another way in which uh, God provides for the needs of other people. And then after all of that, there is, after that, an appropriate place for the government to step in and help. And this is actually something that is taught biblically. Um, for instance, in times of great famine, particularly with the story of Joseph, where Joseph is raised to be the, the head of the Egyptian government, so to speak, he then provides for the people so that they, that they do not starve. Um, so there is an appropriate time and place for the government to help. But in general, these are the, the ways, and, and none of these other things should be neglected. God provides for us through our own labors. He provides for us, for us through our families. He provides for us through the church, even uh, providing for us through other people. And then after that, he provides for us also through the government. And so there is a, a use to these things, but we recognize that we do not put our ultimate hope and trust in princes. And so it's an appropriate thing for the government, for instance, to uh, try to take wise measures with regard to the coronavirus. Uh, there are more resources that the government can put towards uh, fighting that problem than what we could do, pulling all our resources together. Uh, and so there are appropriate things, you know, and, and because of that, it looks like a, a vaccine is coming way faster than it otherwise would have because uh, of the work of government. And that is an appropriate measure that the government can take. Now, I'm not commenting on anything else the government's done. The government can still overstep in, in these things. But that situation is something that's appropriate for the government um, to respond to. And so this is the, the way that then that a Christian should think about socialism. We need to think about it in terms of what, who we are giving power to, what we are required to say in terms of our ultimate trust. We do not put our hope in princes. We do not put our trust in them, but rather we put our hope in God. Now, 
The second thing is elections. Elections. How are we to view elections? Uh, really, the, the problem with viewing elections in such a way that it causes a breakdown because an election does not go your way fundamentally has the same problem as uh, socialism, communism, Marxism. And that is that there is way too much confidence in princes. There is way too much confidence in princes. Now, I've mentioned here, with regard to the nations around Israel, there is always a temptation because of their view that the king is God to give the government too much power. It also means, though, that there is, uh, particularly with regard to the government, this was this was and remains one of the common ways in which idolatry expresses itself is in trusting in the government too much. And if your view of government is such that you have so much trust in it that when an election does not go your way, that you cannot cope with it, it is probably a sign that your view of the government is too high, that there is too much trust in the government, and that just like in the ancient Near East, which commonly expressed its idolatry by praising and worshiping the king, so too a, a breaking down after an election uh, because you, you did not get the candidate that you wanted into office uh, is probably also evidence that there is an idolatry with regard to the government, that you are, you are relying on the government too much to provide for you. And when you do not get your candidate in, now you do not believe that the government will be able to provide for you and, and such that you will not be provided for anymore. Uh, this, this is um, an evidence of idolatry. What we recognize as Christians is very often the church is put in unfavorable circumstances with regard to the government. Much of church history in many countries, um, really all throughout time, at least somewhere in the world, the church has been persecuted by the government. Very often we do not have the people in power that uh, are, are governing according to Christian principles. And yet we have our trust in God, not in princes. We know that God can provide for us in every circumstance. He can care for us. He will grow his church even when the government opposes the church. And ultimately, ultimately we know that the gospel will triumph over all things, that God's kingdom will continue to advance, and that on the last day, that all things will be made right and the Lord Jesus will be seen to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And nothing that the government does, no matter whether it's godly or ungodly, nothing the government does will be able to change any of that. And so as we even think about this election, which you know the results are not set at this point, and no matter what you think about the candidates, you need to keep this in mind as you go through uh, the election, whether or not the person you want is in or out, that we do not ultimately put our trust in princes. And remembering these things can help you to have peace, even if the results of an election are not the way that you want them to go. And so, if we were to ask, does the Bible speak, does the gospel speak to how we should view the government in elections? We would have to say yes, uh, in some ways indirectly, but yet it does speak. Ultimately, we are to trust in God and not in man. Now, if in the Old Testament they recognized that God was the, the king of kings, that he's the Lord of lords, and because of that, the king had to be subservient to God himself, it's uh, even more important for us to recognize that this kingship of God has been manifested in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who now, because of his resurrection from the dead, has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He himself is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who will reign forever, and he is able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him. So the call not to put your trust in princes, the call not to put your trust in the government, also comes with an appeal to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. But even as he was raised from the dead, so too you will be raised from the dead and have everlasting life on the last day. Whereas princes are unable to save, Christ himself is able to save to the utmost. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We do pray that you would grant us wisdom, Lord. In many ways, these things are difficult to think through. And Lord, there are so many ideas that are all around us. There are so many temptations all around us. Lord, we do pray that you would give us wisdom and in this way that you would help us to to live in a way that's honoring to you, that we would be able to honor you in everything that we do, whether it be uh, the way that we live with respect to our families or at work or even, Lord, in the public sphere, even as we think about voting and governments. Help us, O oh Lord, to, uh, to honor you. And we ask, Lord, that you would build up your church, that you would protect us no matter what happens with the government. We are thankful, O oh Lord, for the promises of your word that the Lord Jesus Christ will build his church and even the gates of hell cannot stand against them. We do ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, please give us a five-star review as this will help make the Word of God preached more available to others. Also, if you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F dot com.